welcome to Fangirl Fridays. I'm Natalie. And I'm Marin. I'm alive. Are you? I know. I straight up died. So, so sorry, everyone. Um, legitimately very sick. I had to take two days off of work. That never happens. And it was the, the cold from hell. I really did not recover until Sunday, like late afternoon. I'm still sort of on the up and up. I went to an urban sweat lodge to sweat it all out gross. last night. I know it was really gross, but worked. Um, I watched some TV while I did it. So kind of my dream. And I'm back. You know, this whole time I thought I was getting what you're you had? I know. I'm not even sure what you had. A cold? No. I don't know. Yeah, it was a real bad cold. But I either had the like the world's lightest cold <laughs> or it never – or like I defeated it. Oh. I don't know. Like I'm still like a little stuffy, but I think that's just seasonal. We have some weird weather happening right uh-huh. now. It's like yes. cold to warm. It's a strange thing happening. Yeah, but – other than that, like, I think I won. I'm doing okay. I think you won. Um, I think you won because you have moved into a new decade of your life. We didn't get to talk about your birthday festivities and celebration because I was sick. Um, your birthday was now almost two weeks ago, and it yeah. was a time. We had a little day. We did. We, we met Belle. Yeah, we met Belle because we're children. Um, I'm still very confused by our conversation with Belle. So we go to the El Capitan Theater, which is kind of amazing. I had never been there. I felt like it was my birthday. And she is in full dress. I have later had conversations with people asking if she's actually Disneyland's Belle. No. And they just, like, ship them up there Absolutely for the time. Absolutely not. I can no? tell by the face. <laughs> Judgy for Belle. But so we take a photo with her. You took a separate one. We took one together. I lost my damn mind. You had a button. Bless those yeah, people. Yeah, a birthday button. At the El Capitan. And she turns to us and goes, have you seen my story before? And I was like, oh, God, what? Uh, yeah. Yeah, Belle, I've seen your story before. And then she goes, what's your favorite part? And I just go, that you like to read? Like, what was that? It was like a, such a strange I'm, conversation. I understand that Disney characters have to be in character 100%. For sure. But – I, you don't have to. We just want a photo. Yeah. I don't need the conversation. But then there are some adults who like it, so I oh, yeah. maybe you do need it. There were some adults in line ahead of us that had a full doll that she had to take a yeah. photo with. Things were happening there. I had a hot dog, and it was so good, and I want it right now. I learned a lot of things about you that day. You like a naked hot dog, um, <laughs> which, I did, which I did not know. Um, I and had a corn dog the same weekend. I was, yeah, I was really craving something here. We had a full, a fix. full day of activities. We went to the oldest restaurant in Hollywood. It's called Musso and Frank. If you're ever in town, everyone who works there, with the exception of Brian, our waiter, is like 85 years old. Um, it's the 100th anniversary, so get there this year if you want. And we just sat at the counter, had a drink, ate a lot of fries. Ate so much. I know. It kind of ruined your like stomach for the weekend, yeah, which like I felt I bad about not- that. End up like drinking very much at my birthday later right. in the evening. That's fine. It's fine. But then I ate cake for four days, yeah. and I'm still like working it off. I think a Kirkland cake. A lot cake. of dairy. A lot of happenings. A lot happening. That Kirkland cake, though. Yeah, Ooh. highly recommend. Maybe I should just fangirl over the Kirkland cake. Yeah. So it's a white sheet cake, mm-hmm. but the middle layer was like a cheesecake situation. Yeah, like a f- cheesecake flavor, almost but like a, almost like a cheesecake pudding. Oh, yeah. I was going to say a mousse. Yeah, but it wasn't yeah. too moussey yeah. or not full cheesecake. Mm-hmm. It's 
It was, it was legit. so good. I know. Everyone was like, and then I, was, I had to cut the cake. I'm not good at those things, but I de facto had to cut it because yeah. I'm a mom. Like that, like, <laughs> like that just, I gave birth and then I knew how to like cut a cake and fold That's a fitted sheet. Works. Hot That's tip. how life works. I don't know how to do either of those things, but it seemed to work out. But yeah, it was a lovely time. I'm so glad I got to celebrate your birthday with you. And then I died. Great. I've hardly done anything since. Are you fangirling over anything? I am. I'm Whoa. fangirling over a book. <laughs> Oh, what? I, I read. <laughs> I, I read, guys. I read sometimes. Uh, but I'm way behind. So Shrill is coming out on Hulu next month mm-hmm. with A.D. Bryant, and I'm very excited. Yes. And I thought maybe I should read the book that it's inspired by. So I'm reading Shrill, which came out in 2016. But it is so funny and so good. I'm having a good time reading it before bed. Ooh, I love a little reading before bed, except yeah. I get two pages in and then I'm asleep. Oh, really? Yeah. I make sure... I read a chapter. Oh. But the books I've been reading don't have lengthy chapters, so. (laughs) I thought you were going to say, like, they don't have pictures or, like, something like that. Um, Well, that's exciting. Are you fangirling? Are you watching anything? What am I watching? For some reason, I decided to start Ash vs. Evil Dead, which was very fun. I think I'm into it. Yeah? Like, from the beginning you started? It's only three seasons, yeah. but yeah. I feel like you have to like Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2 to appreciate it. Yeah. But yeah, it's very fun. Highly recommend. And I forgot, actually, that I had gone through a horror night's maze of Ash vs. Evil Dead. And at the time, I hadn't seen the show. My friends and I thought, oh, this one will be like just fun because the show looks fun. Went in, scared out of my mind, like a man in a full body suit got us so good. But I had completely forgotten about it. And they show a trailer with laundry hanging, which was the entryway of the Horror Nights oh, maze. No. And I said, oh, shit, out loud. Like, I got scared. At your Because I remember it all came back to me. You had yeah. PTSD. I did. I love that every time you do one of these things, there is some part of you that's like, this isn't going to be bad. Like, you don't <laughs> know yourself well enough now they're to know bad. they're always bad. And you're always crying by the end of it and screaming. But then, like, terrified. the next day you look back. You talk about it for months yes. about how fun it was. Right. That's how you keep going back. <laughs> That's why. Right there. Anyways, what are you fangirling over? Um, so my mom was in town while I was sick, which was lovely because it was incredibly helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we had a night to ourselves, just my mom and myself. And so we – I'm trying to, like, introduce her to Netflix. I, like, got it set up on her iPad because she doesn't have it. And so we're, like, trying to figure things out. So we decided we were going to start watching – it's, t- like, two years old now – but the – David Letterman, like my next guest, needs no introduction. And because it was my mom loves Letterman, which I love about her. And then she, you know, it's like nonlinear. Like she could watch an episode if she wanted. Mm -hmm. It wasn't a big deal if we like started it and then she got really into it and then couldn't watch anymore. So we watched the first two, which were Obama and George Clooney. Highly recommend. I've only seen the Obama episode. The Obama. There's a Tina Fey too, right? Yes, there's a Tina Fey. That's it. So there, I've seen three now. Last night, while sweating in my burrito cocoon, I watched the Malala one because I felt like I could endure based on she's endured a lot more. I could handle this heat. And it's just like, it's a weird format for him because he's very sincere, which is almost like an uncomfortable place for David Letterman. You're like, wait, what? But I think he's kind of growing older and he's like sort of appreciating his place in the world and his ability to make an impact. And so he's wanting to tell these very interesting stories. And he's still, you know, like kind of his snarky self and, you know, his like very dry humor. But the Obama one, I was just like, 
where have we gone as a people? Um, it made me really sad. And then the Clooney one, totally different tone. We like really get to know George Clooney's parents, which I was totally Ooh. on board with. Yeah. And then we we're talking about like how Rosemary Clooney's his aunt and like all of these things. And he made this really interesting point that Rosemary Clooney you know, because people are always like, oh, she's your aunt, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, I don't know. They were like our California family. Like, we oh, didn't yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, man, am I going to be someone's California family? We totally are people's California family. Like, eh. So when we have, like, yeah. middling fame, we'll be people's California family. <laughs> Great. Um, I, I was pumped wait. about it. Yeah. But George Clooney just, like, cool. And then they brought on them all. Not onto the episode, but there's, like, a scene where they're, like, FaceTiming with her. Mm-hmm. Goddamn. Like, how? I don't understand. The woman's impossibly beautiful, impossibly smart, prosecuting ISIS. Like, I was just like, who wow. are you? Like, what? How did How did you come into this world? Now she has twins? Sure. Great. No big deal. No big deal. That's what I'm fangirling over. I highly recommend. I think it's eight episodes total. Not not so much David Letterman, more so Amal Clooney. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm definitely fangirling over Amal Clooney. Maybe forever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As you should, I think. I think so. Shall we get into our topic? I honestly, I was so ready last Wednesday. I know, Wednesday, I'm sorry. I ruined it. And you ruined everything. I did. Mm-hmm. And now I'm like, do I remember? Of course I remember. Right. But I feel like I'm not as ready as I was last week. I'm, I'm sorry. Put me off my game. I know, I'm really sorry. We were actually were texting last night about how we hated everything, and I was like, tomorrow's episode will be super fun. <laughs> um, but I feel like we're we're doing it. We're, we're okay. Yeah. So we are doing... Fictional bands. By the way, I really appreciated your sad, lonely intro Thank on our you. Rewind episode. I just liked the thought of you being in here by yourself, like living your Fraser Crane I mean, life. By the, yeah, by the end of it, I, was, I thought I was Fraser Crane. Yeah. Do I have my own show? Right. Don't ask me for advice, but maybe I'll talk about other things. Yeah. To which I responded, I'm I know I'm your Roz. Like it's fine. Like you're the <laughs> you're the Fraser Crane of this situation. Um but so we are going to do Best fictional bands, and we're going to do them by decade. Now, I think we thought we were going to start with just the 70s, but there's some creeping. It's more so tail end 60s, 70s. It's Yeah, it's like late 60s, early 70s, and like, whew, when we started doing this research, I got very pumped. Do you, where do you want to start? I don't, they're all, I feel like they're all iconic or something. Yes. It's very hard to choose. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just going to go with a little one here. That I added last minute because I somehow forgot. I saw you add it and I was like, how did she not have yeah, this right away? I have a t-shirt. Um, <laughs> I have a t-shirt. Let's kick it off with the banana splits. You love so much. I also love this t-shirt when you wear it. Yeah, I just, the theme song I feel is how people recognize them. Mm-hmm. That's their single. Um, but they're a fictional rock band. Hanna-Barbera, of course. Of course. We'll be talking more about Hanna-Barbera. Mm-hmm. It's a rock band that's composed of four funny animal characters. So it's like Great. if Disney characters had instruments. Uh-huh. It's like the country bears, but Oh, cool. yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. So there's Flegel on guitar and Perfect. vocals. Bingo on drums and vocals. Drooper, bass and vocals. And Snorky, keyboards and vocals. Do you have a favorite? Um, I don't think so. I Because the Banana Splits, it's more like a children's variety show. Yeah. And they did have songs, like I have their record, but I don't have like a significant love for one over the other. I get that. I think you just love them as a group because they performed like in intervals in the show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Do you have a favorite? Do you no. even know? Well, I was just thinking to myself that, like, I associate them so much with Sid and Marty Croft. And, like, the fact that it's Hanna-Barbera is, like, kind of – It's. I was like, wait, what? <laughs> like, this, that's weird. It's my wet dream because <laughs> this is a Hanna-Barbera show, and the costumes and sets were designed by Sid and Marty Croft, and the series sponsor was Kellogg's Cereal. It's too much. This, too many things. It's, it's literally per- your it's dream. It's a perfect show. It's a perfect show. <laughs> your dream. touch it. So the title – theme song, the Tra-La-La song, as we know it, mm-hmm. uh, was credited as being written by Richie Adams and Mark Barkin. And it was just like a contract, like it was written by these people. Gotcha. But it was actually written by N.B. Me? Yeah. Natalie <laughs> N.B. Winkless Jr. Oh, man. Okay. On the slightly out of tune upright piano in his living room. Cool. Now, this is a person who was a jingle writer, and he also d- is responsible for the snap Crackle pop jingle. Amazing. He's basically like Ray Liotta and Karina Karina, okay? <laughs> uh-huh. The song was released as a single. Obviously, it did pretty well. Mm-hmm. It peaked at number 96 on the top 100. Good for it. But Creeped it made in. the top 100. It did. Mm-hmm. That was in 69, but in 68, they actually released a full album on Decca Records called We're the Banana Splits. And I have that record, but I can still only tell you that one song. Yeah. But it's like an earwig. Like, it just gets in your yeah. brain. Yeah. yeah. It's the song's fault, not mine. Totally. not listening to it. <laughs> it's the song's fault. So the band itself, like, the music was just studio musicians. It's not too, not my favorite right. fictional band, but I feel like it's a good way to get the ball rolling. So I will continue the ball in variety show and sort of okay. <clears throat> children, I don't know, Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem. I completely forgot about this I also one. was shocked when I, like, got into the outline and was like, how does she not I, have this in here? I wasn't a person who watched. I saw the Muppet movies, but I didn't yeah. watch the Muppet show. I'm kind of the same. But, again, like, that's our age. Like, the movies were, like, in my youth. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of go back and realize that there was, like, this very long-running variety show. So Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem are the house band for the Muppet show, if you don't know. Um, not all the members were created by Jim Henson, which I thought was very interesting. Mm. Only Dr. Teeth and Animal were. Apparently, Dr. Teeth um, was very hard on Jim Henson's voice, which makes a lot of sense, actually. Um, and then the others were designed by some of like his like JV-level puppeteers. I don't know. So you have Dr. Teeth on vocals and keyboards, Animal on drums, Floyd Pepper on bass, Janice on guitar, love Janice, and Zoot on saxophone. Lips doesn't join the band until season five. Wow. I know. And in the pilot episode of The Muppet Show, there was a Muppet Jim, and he was in the band, and he was on band show. Oh. It was like Jim Henson, but he's only, yeah, that's yeah. the only time. Um, so Animal, I think, is the breakout star, even though it's called Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem. Um, everyone knows Animal. Animal has been in every single instance of the Muppets, including Muppet Babies. He's yes. the only one of them that makes it into Muppet Babies. have a little fact about that in a second. So Animal's loosely based on, there's rumors, but it's been rumored either Keith Moon, John Bonham, Ginger Baker, or Levon Helm. Um, in Muppet Babies, did you know that Animal was voiced by Howie Mandel? No. I was like... I'm sorry, what? So wait, Excuse the me? animal dance part of that theme song, is that Howie Mandel? I think so. And I was 
dying. I was just like, I, I like had to go back and listen. I can't really hear no, it, but I was I like, I, I need wow. to know. A man of many talents. So many, well, so many guess, talents. No, I guess this tracks because it's like Bobby's world. True, 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 true. Okay. It's okay. This tracks. Um, and I feel like now they've kind of just become called Electric Mayhem, but they just kind of keep cropping up. Like, even though the Muppets, you know, you've had different movies and stuff, they were in the latest TV version of the Muppets. They were the house band on, like, Miss Piggy's late night talk show, kind of like how the roots are to Jimmy Fallon. Mm-hmm. That was them. This was my favorite thing, though. They performed live at Outside Lands Music and Arts Festival. When? On August 6th, 2016. A five-song oh. set. I and I was cried. just like, what? Like, surprise puppets. Surprise Tears. puppets, like, totally amazing. But they're just, I don't know, they're really iconic. Like I said, I've always had a thing. I've always appreciated Animal because he's insane. But I really liked Janice because she kind of seemed like cool and high all the time. You know what I mean? She yes. just like gives off that vibe, which is not my vibe. So I, you know, <laughs> I think it's cool. And yeah, I just, it's 1975, smack in the middle of the 70s totally embodies the 70s in my opinion like when you just think about it mm-hmm. how they look the colors like their palette their sound totally love it i'm going to follow this up with another i feel like super 70s band yeah josie and the pussycats we talked about them recently when we, we did our about cartoon them a lot. <laughs> yes and it might have to crop up again later because of the movie yeah mm-hmm. i feel like that's totally different totally i don't know mm-hmm. um but arguably the coolest cartoon band of all time the looks alone the looks alone mm-hmm. whoever decided to give them those cool leotards with matching flats and ears mm-hmm. it's the ears for me i think that yeah. really sets it over so the series was the first original American Saturday morning animated series to have a black female character, Valerie. Wow. Yeah. But Hanna-Barbera wanted to change Valerie to a Caucasian woman. Why? I don't know. Because <laughs> people, the world is a terrible place. And she, But she was already established as African-American in the... The in the comics, comics, yeah. So the, Her origin story I was exists. Of, I was doing some comic research versus the wow. television show. Mm-hmm. And the comics came to existence before their sound did. So they were a band before we had the show and music to align. To, like, make them a band. Yeah, mm-hmm. so you're reading these comics wondering what they sound like, and you wouldn't find out for a while. Love that. But the comic was originally completely different. Oh. Uh, so it started out in 1958. Uh, comic book artist Dan DiCarlo was musing on his wife, Josie, and turned her into an Archie comic about a good-natured lady and her friend. Pepper and Melody living their teen lives in a book called She's Josie. Oh, I kind of wish I had a friend named Pepper. It was kind of boring. They loved books. (laughs) (laughs) It was kind of boring. They loved books. They loved reading books. Mm -hmm. So eventually they put a cool flip on it, made them into a band, Uh and voila, we were given a great gift of Josie and the Pussycats. The theme songs we've talked about were Cheryl Ladd. Cheryl Ladd. And Love it. she provided the singing voice for Melody. Patrice Holloway, is the sister of Motown singer Brenda Holloway, provided the singing voice of Valerie, but actually sings the lead on the theme song and probably a lot of the other songs. Probably. She's, She's the real talent no here. No offense to Cheryl Ladd. She's not bringing that vocal. Yeah. 
<laughs> I mean, it's fine. Know your place, Cheryl Ladd. Yeah. They released a full album, two 45s um, from Capitol. Neither of the Josie and the Pussycat singles, Every Beat of My Heart and Stop, Look, and Listen, became hits like other cartoon hits of the time, like Sugar, Sugar. I love that, like, Capital EMI is, like, the record label of, like, the Beatles. And then it's, like, and also Josie and the Pussycats, like, this animated band. Love it. Great. Well, like, listening to these songs, they all kind of sound the same. Yeah. So why didn't these chart versus Banana Splits? Totally. Uh, I don't know. They're pretty much the same. But some of the 45s were some of the, like, cereal box records Ooh. that you could get back in the day. Oh, and man, a dream. And Kellogg's cereal because Kellogg's is targeting me. Kellogg's knows what's up. Like, they really do. They've always had their finger on the pulse. Yeah. Like, of garbage people like us. <laughs> <laughs> what? Like, should we just do a focus group? We should just consult because it's like, do you want to know what garbage people want? We'll tell you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the show itself... They, yes, they played music. You can see them, like, as their little trio. But the songs were mostly used when they're running around. Solving mysteries. Trying to solve a mystery <laughs> or a problem. Just like every other Hanna-Barbera cartoon. So many I mysteries. I actually tried to find, like, a list of every Hanna-Barbera band within the show. Mm. And I could not find one. Weird. First of all, am I going to have to do that I, myself? I think so. I started. I have a few I have. <laughs> Catanooga Cats. Oh. The Neptunes, which is Jabberjaw. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Bedrock Rockers, which oh, is yeah. Pebbles and Bam Bam. Why not be the Bedrockers? That's a mistake. <laughs> and the Chan Clan. The Bedrockers is so much better. Singer you know Ron why? Dante. You know why it's not the Bedrockers? Because that's like super overtly sexual. I don't care. It sounds much better than saying Bedrock Rockers. I know, but they're children. So. As children, you wouldn't know. It's true, but your parents would. And then it would, would be a wink for the parents. <laughs> I stand by what I said. All right. All right. It should be fine. the bed rockers. That's that's fine. But I feel like Josie and the Pussycats, I'm not, unfortunately, it's not for music. It's for their look. They're the coolest. They're, they, they are the coolest. I'm going to make a segue sort of in that, you know, like... Josie and the Pussycats, like, song is being played over a chase scene, similar to what's happening with the tomfoolery of the monkeys. Now, I have a very, very special place in my heart for the monkeys because I was, like, a very small child when they started syndicating on Nickelodeon. Mm -hmm. And I remember watching it as a small child and being like, this is insane, and these are some hot jams. Like, I didn't know what was going on. And I was, like, weirdly obsessed with Mickey Dolenz. Like, I wasn't the kid that, like, loved Davy Jones. I was just like, who's this guy? And, like, he seems like a lunatic, but I'm all about it. When you're, like, five... I don't know. I found that, like, very interesting. Yeah, I loved the Beatles around that age, and it's the same kind of energy. Yes. Like, early Beatles. Yeah, a little manic. So, the Monkees are an American rock and pop band originally active between 66 and 71. Now, the show is only 66 to 68. Okay. And then they have, like, reunions, whatever. Um, And they're formed in L.A. in 1965 by these two guys, Bob Raffleson and Bert Schneider. Now, it's Bob Raffleson's idea for the show. He starts pitching it in 1962, and people are not interested. (laughs) Like, they don't have a band. There's nothing. It's just, like, a script idea, essentially. Then you get the Beatles 
a hard day's night that comes out. And people were like, what, what? Yeah. Maybe we should do this thing. <clears throat> so gets like reinvigorated. Davy Jones gets signed on board. Now, he has been in Oliver on Broadway. Kills it. He's gets, already a star. He's already a star. He gets nominated for Tony. He actually performs that scene. He's the Artful Dodger. He's on the episode of the Ed Sullivan Show when the Beatles play on the Ed Sullivan Show for the first time. And mm-hmm. then he's, like, doing his Artful Dodger scene separately. I was like, what? What a weird – like, that's insane. So there's a casting call that goes out. Davy Jones is signed on. And they're like, we got to find the rest of our guys. So this is like the search for a boy band. It's O-Town before O-Town, essentially. So in, I love this, 1965, this ad in The Hollywood Reporter goes out for members, and this is what it says. Madness! Two exclaims. Auditions. Folk and rock musician singers for acting roles in new TV series. Running parts for four insane boys aged 17 to 21. Wants spirited Ben Franks types have courage to work must come down for interview 437 people applied wow feels low i don't know it's like a very intimidating casting call yeah also like are you gonna torture me while i'm there i don't know what kind of insanity do you want right and must have courage to work what does that mean like i was a little scared scared by it um but so out of that we get mickey dolans michael nesmith and peter tork now quickly r.i.p peter tork Today, yesterday, 77. Yeah. Um, very tragic. Um, so then we form the monkeys. Now, same thing kind of similarly to Josie and the Pussycats. Like, they're a band, but they're not a band. Like, we don't really know what – so the pilot has, like, been picked up, but they don't have a sound. There's not, like, a thing. Right. So they have to kind of quickly get to the studio. No one really wants to write songs for them. Like, it's just – they're. It's this notion, and they were very open about it, that they were completely manufactured. Like, even in the description of the show. Is that why no one wanted to write songs Kind of. People were like, "Eh, I'm not into this, whatever. They, you know, get into the studio. Their first single is Last Train to Clarksville. Solid. Solid. Like, really coming out of the gate. probably, I don't, not their, uh, I don't know. I was going to say their best song, and now I'm backtracking immediately. I don't know. Tadrian Believer. I don't know. So last year, Clarksville comes out in, let's see, like two weeks before the show premieres. The show premieres in September of 1966. Then the full album comes. It is like a worldwide sensation so you you have this huge marketing vehicle be like oh you know that song that you like like watch these crazy boys on on television and it just like goes captain insano the show is kind of like meh like people are not super into the show obviously it only runs for a couple of years but the band themselves this was shocking to me the monkeys have sold 75 million records like what what i know and so Hugely successful. Obviously, you have international hits like Last Train to Clarksville, Pleasant Valley Sunday, Daydream Believer. I'm a believer. And just, we're not even talking about, hey, hey, the monkeys. Like, the theme song for the show is a freaking jam. And I just, I loved it. Really quick factoid, too. Before they started casting all of the bands, they wanted to just use the band The Love and Spoonful. Oh. They were almost the monkeys. And that I was would just not like, have worked. No, because they're too all. folky. I don't know. It was like very strange. But they then they got a record deal, and so they couldn't do it. But I was just like, what a 
strange little thing. So then with the show going to syndication in the mid 80s, the it like revitalized monkey mania essentially that happened with partridge family too maybe um and so they then they like go back on tour um their first album by the way when it was released it spent 13 weeks at number one on the billboard charts and it stayed there on the charts for 78 weeks what do you think it feels like for a studio musician to be on the charts, but it's not your name. I guess it's kind of like when an SNL sketch becomes very popular and the person who wrote it doesn't really get the recognition. It's totally. the person playing the character. I don't know. It's very strange. Um, and they do play. Like, it's not totally manufactured. Like, they're singing. They do play on some things. Nesmith actually, like, writes some of the songs. But they originally were kind of barred from the studio and it was a lot of studio recordings Mm -hmm. and then finally they fought for more control so then they became sort of full musicians producers the whole thing by then nobody was on the downfall i don't know it's um you know it kind of seems like it happens in the first like the back half of the show but then the band is you know much more popular later but when they kind of this reinvigoration of uh, monkey mania in 1986 the album, their first album, shows back up on the Billboard charts and is on it for another 24 weeks. <laughs> and I was like, what a time 1986 was. Let's put it back. Let's you put have it like, back on the charts. Yeah, like you have like Madonna and then like the Monkees. Well, I also think, I mean, I hate to say this, but Smash Mouth did I'm a Believer for Shrek. Oh, yeah. And that just had like a resurgence for that song yeah. in what, 2000? It's a jam. So every like 20 years or so, let's like bring it back. I'm totally on board with that. It's like, because it's two generations, it's like a full generation of people then that don't know it. Yeah. What a dream. Perfect. By the way, really quick timeout. Coworker today didn't know who Roy Orbison was, and I almost flipped the table. (laughs) I was like, all right, great. What do you have? What's Um, next? I mentioned Partridge Family, so I'm going to touch on it. Unfortunately, we've talked about these shows before, and I don't want to repeat myself over Mm -hmm. and over, but as we know, David Cassidy was Shirley's stepson Mm -hmm. IRL. It's too much. And they almost didn't cast him because of that, and they had to, like, convince them, like, no, we're, like, on good terms. We have good chemistry. Let us work. So the Partridge family was actually the 70s successor to the Monkees. Makes sense. Both were fictional rock bands produced by Screen Gems. Oh, yeah. Which Mm -hmm. is the television branch of Columbia. Makes sense. Um, The Partridge family loosely based on a real-life family pop rock band, the Cowsills, who did the song Hair and Love American Style. Love that song. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not a great last name. The Cowsills. No, it's not easy on the tongue. Doesn't roll off. No. No. So the only members that are actually heard on the recordings for Partridge Family are David Cassidy and Shirley Jones. Um, (laughs) No Danny Bonaducci. So sorry. No, no, unfortunately. <laughs> Didn't make imagine? the cut. No, just yelling. I don't know. I think I'd like it. Um, all the Partridge Family records were originally released on Bell Records, which mm. is, stands out for me because as a child I had these records and I know the logo. You can see it. Very mm-hmm. well. Yeah. Um, the harmonies were also similar to another Bell act, which was the Fifth Dimension. Mm, makes sense. Sounds very similar. I, I didn't, until I read that, I was like, well, makes perfect sense. <laughs> Um, in the premiere episode, the Partridge siblings asked their mom to help them record a record label demo. So they do, like, I Think I Love You, and um, I think they end up doing the theme song as well, maybe. 
But I Think I Love You was written by Tony Romero and actually became a number number one million selling pop hit, holding down the spot for three weeks in November 1970. Every time I see that guy's name, I think that it says Tony Romo, who is a quarterback from, for, the Dallas Cowboy, for the Dallas Cowboys. And I'm always like, wow, what a multifaceted man. Um, to me, this song almost gets away with being a real band. Even though it's a fictional band as a whole, yeah. you still actually have David Cassidy singing. Yes. You have some Shirley Jones in there. David Cassidy wanted to break out of the yes. show and become a musician. It unfortunately didn't really work out for him. Yeah. It's a very weird line, like with the monkeys too, where you're like, okay, like this was fictional, but now this has become so popular outside of the constructs of the show. Now it's a real now thing. Now it's a real thing. Like, so it's... I mean, the Monkees are a fictional band, but then they become a worldwide sensation. And I feel like the Partridge Family, those songs are iconic. Yeah. Well, let me go Let me go into my next one Ooh, because okay. I feel like this is perfect. Because I want to talk about the Brady Bunch versus the Silver Platters. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. The Silver Platters is actually only in one episode. I was going to say, wasn't it one episode? Yeah, mm-hmm. it's an episode called Amateur Night and... It aired 1973, and they enter a local, like, amateur contest on TV to win money for their parents' anniversary gift. Okay. So they're wearing these, like, blue and white suits, Mm -hmm. and they do, like, a perfect performance. They do they? I think they get third prize. Amazing. Um, They perform. It's a sunshine day to audition. They do keep on on the show. Um, But in reality, the producers herded the Brady Bunch into the studio to record no less than four albums over the course of the show. But here's where I get confused, because they're only the silver platters for one episode. Right. Which was kind of going against my rule I made when doing this, Uh was I wanted them, the fictional bands I chose, to be more of the focus of the movie or TV or whatever. Uh But this... Like, is revisited just in, like, different ways throughout the show. Because in the episode where Greg Brady is Johnny Bravo, mm-hmm. he um, sing- ends up singing good time music with the Brady Bunch on a show. But I don't think they go by the silver platters. I no. think they're just, like, the Brady kids. And then there's an- the other episode where Peter is voice cracks when they're oh, recording yeah. Time to Change. Yeah. and So much singing. At what point... I, I mean, I need, like, a Brady Bunch super fan yeah. to come in and the oral history, me here. Right. Yeah. Because at what point are they just the Brady kids that sing sometimes for local <laughs> totally. television? I feel like they're mostly that, but then, like, in real life, they they have all these albums. And I was very... Because then they, later they did that rea- a variety show, Replacing Jan, yes. where they sang, and they're all not good singers. No. But they did it. But they did it. People just loved them so much. I mean, I think these songs, too, have been made so iconic by the movies because it's like such – I don't know. I feel like it's a bigger part of the movies than it is of the show. I don't know because in the movie, they do keep on, but they do it at the end similar to the Silver Platters Mm -hmm. episode because it's for a contest to save money – to get money to save their house. Right. Mm-hmm. And then the second one, for some reason, they just do good time music on the airplane, and <laughs> yeah. it's my favorite thing. Yeah. Just because. Yeah. And then the Sunshine Day montage in the mall. You just wanted to talk about the Bradys. I, yeah, but I also just, I need an answer. <laughs> Someone tell Natalie. She needs to In the to Brady know. Bunch universe, were people watching the Brady kids perform? Or did the Silver Platters continue? I don't know. That's very, it's very fascinating. 
question for the ages. Um, okay, I have one more, and I feel like you have one more, mm-hmm. so I'm going to do mine quickly. Okay. The Blues Brothers. 19, so people are going to yell at me. 1978 is when they first appear on Saturday Night Live. Okay. The movie comes out in 1980. Obviously, like, that's a whole other thing, right? But they start as sort of, you know, a known entity in 1978. So they're a revivalist band uh, founded by Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi. And originally it was part of a sketch. It kind of, like, comes from a multitude of sketches. So the genesis of the Blues Brothers was on January 17th, 1976. And so essentially Howard Shore and his Albie band play the Slim Harpo song, I'm a King Bee, with Belushi singing and Ackroyd playing harmonica. And they're dressed in their bee costumes from the Killer Bee sketches. And that kind of like puts that more. I know. (laughs) It puts the wheels in motion of them like being a band. Okay. Apparently, Ackroyd... (laughs) Like, rented a bar while he was, like, immediately when he was on Saturday Night Live. Mm -hmm. And it was called the Holland Tunnel Bar. And they would all, like, the cast and whoever was on the show would go there after. Is this how the after party originated? Kind of, yeah. And so they would go there and it was, like, everyone, you know, after the tapings and it would just be, like, people drinking. And, like, he had a bunch of instruments so people would just kind of jam. It was, like, a really small group of people. And I guess... He, Dan Aykroyd, had, like, had the jukebox there filled with songs from Sam and Dave. So Sam and Dave are the ones that originate I'm a Soul Man. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they also put a bunch of, like, punk on there, whatever. And so John Belushi knew nothing about blues, and Aykroyd was, like, really into it. And so then he introduced John Belushi to it. It was kind of an interest. Then it become it became an obsession, and they were like, we have to do this sort of on a more recurring basis. So they, again, they premiere the Blues Brothers in the cold open in 1978 in an episode hosted by Carrie Fisher, which I loved. And Which didn't she date Dan Aykroyd yes, for a while? Yes, maybe. That yeah. sounds right. I'm making stuff up. I don't uh, know. So they do Hey Bartender at the beginning, and then later they do Soul Man. Anyway, this becomes this whole thing, and there's like – a full fictional world behind the Blues Brothers. Have you ever seen the movie? Yeah. Can I be honest? Yeah. Not a fan. Not a fan? So fair, but it's like, it's still like a weird cultural like moment. We'd watch it in band class sometimes. Yeah, we did too. It's not appropriate. <laughs> no. Like absolutely not appropriate for school at all. Um, and so... You know, they're like, okay, this seems to be a thing. People were, like, really excited about it. Um, Ackroyd's, like, working on the script for the movie. So they get Paul Schaefer um, to help them, like, arrange a full band. And then they, like, bring in different, like, musicians. And they want it to be, like, legit. So they're Uh pulling in people from SNL. They're pulling in, like, actual (laughs) blues musicians. And then they're trying to decide, like, what their look and feel is going to be. And they're kind of, like, like they borrow John Lee Hooker's, like, hat and, like, the shades and all that stuff. So they're kind of, like, borrowing from what's actually happening in blues. Or stealing. Or stealing. Um, And so they record their first album, Briefcase Full of Blues, in 1978 while opening for Steve Martin at the Los Angeles Universal Amphitheater, which I was like, what? The album reaches number one on the Billboard 200. Goes double platinum, and that so it features Soul Man and Rubber Biscuit. 
the liner notes to this album okay. really start to like solidify the backstory for the Blues Brothers that gets like incorporated into the movie. This is like kind of meta. It's like a intense situation. You're just like, oh, I just thought they covered songs and it was like a sketch. No. No, they were characters. They were full on characters. So the album liner notes fleshed out the fictional backstory of Jake and Elwood, having them growing up in a Roman Catholic orphanage in Calumet City, Illinois, and learning the blues from a janitor named Curtis. Their blood brotherhood was sealed by cutting their middle fingers with a string said to come from the guitar of Elmore James. And I was like, wow, people put a lot of thought into this. Um, Movie comes out in 1980. John Belushi dies in 1982, which is insane. It's like the height of all this. Then, you know, Jim Belushi starts to like fill mm-hmm. in. Um, and to promote Blues Brothers 2000, which I totally I forgot, forgot existed, that. Dan Aykroyd, James Belushi, and John Goodman performed at the halftime show of Super Bowl like 31 along with ZZ Top and James Brown and the performance was preceded with a faux news report stating that the Blues Brothers had escaped custody and were on their way to the Louisiana Superdome. What an insane halftime show. This is 20 years after the movie comes out like I was like what madness but yeah I just like fully equate with I'm a soul man like I can just like hear it I can hear them I can see Dan Aykroyd like And they were just at the top of their fame. Everyone was obsessed with this movie. Everyone was obsessed with them. They did nothing new. They just all of these are covers. You know what I mean? But they just like it's funny made it popular. You hear "I'm a Soul Man" and you think of Blues Brothers. Yeah, I think of The Simpsons when Bart sings "I'm a Troll Man" in church. (laughs) (laughs) Same thing. Same thing. Same. Thing. I think we should wrap it up okay. with, I wouldn't say the most iconic, you know, the best fictional band, mm-hmm. but arguably the best single. Ooh. The Archies with Sugar Sugar. Oh, yeah. Sugar. Do you not want to hear that song every summer or every day? It's so good. Right now? It's a perfect song. Yeah, it's a perfect song. The Archies is a fictional garage band founded by the Archie gang. So Mm -hmm. you have Archie, you have Reggie, you have Jughead, Veronica, Betty. I don't know. Do you watch Riverdale? I was just going to say, do they have the band on Riverdale? I will get into some Riverdale comparisons. <laughs> okay. I've got a few. So sorry. Their show is basically 17-year-old Archie singing with his Riverdale friends. And a typical episode is like an Archie story. Archie like in a different character doing something, whatever. Mm-hmm. Then doing they something. introduce a segment called Dance of the Week where the animated characters teach children a new dance move. And now a brand new dance to watch and learn. The baby! Wiggle to the left, wiggle to the right. Bitty, bitty, bo, bo, bop, 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 bop. Okay. And then Archie's like, hey, we're going to sing our new song. Do the dance move with it or whatever. Oh, okay. And then they, the band does a poorly animated movements mm-hmm. to look like they're performing the song. Yeah. Veronica's on keyboards. Hardly ever a keyboard sound in the Archie music. <laughs> it's funny. Uh-huh. But it's there. Um, there are songs like Sugar Sugar, mm-hmm. which is the most famous one. It's written by Jeff Berry and Andy Kim. 
It went to number one on the pop charts in 1969 and sold over six million copies. Whoa. In the Platinum Hot 100, it was ranked as the number one song of that year. It's the only time a fictional band has ever claimed the annual Hot 100 top spot. Oh, I love that. I mean, we need some more fictional bands creeping up in our top 100. Right? Yeah. I mean, how did that Josie and the Pussycats movie soundtrack not get there? <laughs> I'll never know. You'll never know. Uh, but there are other Archie songs. Um, they're very cheesy. I, I'm i familiar. I don't know if some, <laughs> some of you are. It's like Weird. Sugar and Spice, Kissin', Bicycles, Roller Skates, and You, Hot Dog, which I think is about the dog. There's a dog named Hot Dog. Okay. Seventeen Eight Young, which I thought was a perverted song, and then I listened to it, and it's about, like, you have a mind. Oh, I don't know. Okay. Empowerment. Yeah. And Bang Shang Lang is my personal favorite. Mm, that sounds familiar. Now... There is a song, Jingle Jangle, which is what they call the drug in Riverdale. Yes. So, that, so if you are young watching Riverdale, you don't know these connections. No. It's like they're winking at people who are in their 40s, 50s, and me. Yeah, Natalie Burris. <laughs> so I have that, and like everyone, let's see, Veronica sings sometimes with the Pussycats, Archie sometimes plays guitar. Jughead does not sing. Reggie doesn't sing. Betty has sang. It's a weird universe. Hanna-Barbera is just, like, weird in general. Like, yes. I'm always like, wait, what? Um, why is everyone solving mysteries all the time and singing? I mean, on Riverdale, they're solving mysteries. Are which they? Which is funny because they don't really do it on the Archie cartoon. Oh. I mean, I, the Archies isn't Hanna-Barbera. No. Right? Is no. it? I don't think it is. But, like, they intersect. I don't know. It's weird. They have different animation styles. That's true. But it's very but strange. But it's funny, now that I think about it, Riverdale seems to kind of wink at both by doing the mysteries and song. Because they're Warner Brothers, and Hannah, Warner Brothers bought Hanna-Barbera. Mm. I don't know. Wow. Ooh. You're getting I'm pulling at threads that I don't know what's going to happen. Oh, man. These are some great things. We really need some more fictional bands to, of today. Yeah. Like I'm I just, I'm already worried about. I mean, '90s for sure will have some. Oh but yeah. When we inch towards the 2000s, I think it just kind of falls off. I mean, we'll we'll just have to we'll have to wait and we'll see. Have to figure it out. '80s next week. I feel like Jim is yeah, coming I was like, back. If you guys don't know that Jim's going to be on that list, you have not been listening well enough. Um, all right. Well, I'm super excited about this. I feel like our energy level got up through the end. Now we're pumped. It went healed, up, and then I felt like I just got messier as it went. It's but, fine. You know, this, is, this is 30. This is us. <laughs> this is 30. On NBC. This is us. Guys, thanks for sticking with us through our, our illnesses. We appreciate you. Um, if you appreciate us and you want to leave a review or something on iTunes, we love that. Find us on social. All the things. So until next week. Bye. bye.